If you're here for the first time today, we want to welcome you to this amazing church. I hope you feel what God is doing in this place, in this space. We welcome those listening on podcasts today, especially from Detroit. Uh, We are also happy about your Lions win uh, three in a row. And uh, wherever team you're rooting for today, we're glad that Detroit is finally winning something. So we're glad about that. We're on our third week of our series called One, and as you can see, the stage set behind me is, is focused on the oneness of God, the oneness of our faith, and today we're going to talk about being one person. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how in the old days, of course, there were many gods. Uh, there were the gods of weather, the gods of war, the gods of wine, the gods of fertility. Everybody had about 14 different gods. And we saw that one of the great discoveries in the history of the world, or revelations as we know it as Christians, was that there is one God, not many gods, but one. And so that's what we believe today, except we don't have war gods and, and weather gods. We have job gods and family gods and, and worry gods and, and other gods in our lives. And so we saw the need to, to have just the one God. It's fascinating. We saw that introductory clip there about the emperor of Rome, Caesar. It's interesting. Christians in the old days they were actually made to worship Caesar, who wasn't just the Lord or the person of, of Rome. He was supposed to be a god that the Christians would bow down to, and so Christians were killed. They gave their life because they wouldn't say that Caesar was their god. So that's a fascinating clip to start with. But last week, we talked about how we need one thing in our lives, and that's Jesus Christ, and that all of us have many worries and many things. They're like flies that buzz around our heads, Somebody asked me last week, could I get a can of Raid and just like take them out? And No, actually, you can't do that. We talked about the need to bring all the many things into one thing. And actually, Christ is the only one who can do that. So we talk, took a look at how God does that through, through Christ. Today, again, what we're going to talk about is taking the masks off of our face. We're going to talk about being one person, one singular person. One of the things I love most about my job is I have many hats, and you have many hats in your life, but my job is unique in the hats that I wear. And many times I have to wear all four different hats, like in a period of 24 hours. Uh, I have my wedding hat. I had a wedding recently, and it was amazing. It was in the morning, incredible couple who come from our church. And, and so I try to put my wedding hat on, which is something like, I am so happy for you. And that's sort of what I say when I have my wedding hat on. And then I have my memorial hat. I had the 9-11 memorial that same evening. We had a wedding in the morning and the 9-11 memorial. Now, I couldn't have my wedding hat on for the evening, and so I had to sort of be in a different place. And so I said, I said something like, hang in there, God will be with you. And then the next morning, I had my church hat on. That's where we are today, and that's usually the thoughtful hat. And so people will come out to me, and I'll say, I like where you're going with that. That's my, that's my church hat. And then finally, I have my daddy hat, which is usually like just stupid, yabba-dabba-doo, like that. Now, one of the things I've learned in my life is I don't want to have the wrong hat on at the wrong time. I, I don't want to be at the wedding going, yabba-dabba-doo, that's not going to work. I, I don't want to be at the memorial saying, work with that. Yeah, I like that. I, I don't want to be at church saying, hang in there, God loves you. I don't want to wear the wrong hat on the wrong time. I especially don't want to wear the memorial hat at the wedding and say, just hang in there, it'll be okay. That's not the right hat to wear. Now, you have hats too. We all have many hats we wear, but here's the thing. I try to be one person behind all those hats. I try to have one face, and that's what God's goal is for all of us. We are caught in the midst of another election cycle, if you haven't noticed. All the TVs, all, the, all of the, our focus is now on the next presidential election and on the local elections, and 
I can't believe we just finished the last election cycle. They just did a study, a, a recent survey, and they found that 85% of Americans are, do not trust politicians of any stripe in Washington. They do not trust Republicans, Democrats, Independents. And they asked people afterwards, why is that, that they don't trust Washington? And that is, people said, I just feel like they say one thing and what? Do another. You were part of the survey too, I guess. But it's interesting, there may be a new presidential candidate entering the race in the next couple of weeks, and the only real qualification he seems to have is that he is at least honest about who he is. You see, the implication would be that we'd rather have someone who is honest about who they are, who may not have all of the qualifications, than have somebody who has some qualifications but isn't honest. We want that one person so badly. Now, we have lots of names for people who have different faces, right? We call them chameleons, right? Think about that. A chameleon is somebody who changes their color, right? Or a chameleon is a lizard that changes color depending upon the environment. Or we, we call them hypocrites sometimes. This is an interesting word. It's a Greek word, hypocrites. It means really a face, hupo, underneath, krutos, the face on the outside. It means having two faces, like a mask. Or we talk about being two-faced, or we talk about, if you're psychologically or you talk about having an integrated self. What's fascinating is the Bible is really a book about helping people to become one. If you want, since the very beginning, Genesis, all the way through, the book is really about how people became two and three and four things. And God only wanted one. Many scholars think that the fall, you remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, was really not just about them taking a, a piece of fruit that God didn't want them to do. That wasn't good. But it was that when God came to them and said, Eve, who made you eat that? She didn't say, me. She said, the snake made me do it. And when God asked Adam, well, who, who made you do it? Of course, he blamed his wife. It's always the wife's fault. The Bible is really a book of bringing people to one. And when people came to John later to, to the River Jordan, they came to him, and remember that many of them were Pharisees. And what did John call them? He called them a brood of vipers. Think about that. Now, why did he call them a viper? Well, it wasn't really that they were poisonous, even though they kind of were. It said that their tongue had two different forks in it. They would say one thing and do another. And he called them hypocrites because they had a face underneath and a face on the outside. You see, John didn't mind that they had a strong belief system. That isn't what it means to be a Pharisee. John had strong beliefs. What John didn't like was that they pretended to be one thing that they weren't. They spoke out of both sides of their mouth. Jesus loved people who were honest about who they were. And he always were challenged by people who pretended to be something they weren't. Uh, remember Levi, Matthew, who's outside the temple, and he doesn't believe he's good enough to come into the church. And then there's the man who's up front who, who prays loudly and says, look at me, Lord. So this is the dynamic that we look at. So this is really the key part of the Bible. And so today we're going to talk about being one person. And we're going to look at a character that I, I love who had many faces, but you always knew what face you were dealing with at least, and his name is Peter. <laughs> He was always one thing or the other, but he was rarely the one person that God wanted him to be. Now, when we pick on Peter, we're doing so because he's in the Bible and we get to do that, but also because we're going to look at ourselves. So the purpose for this is not to make Peter feel bad or to put Peter down, but to simply look at ourselves and our own tendencies. 
Now, I just love this. After the Lord's Supper, which, was, which will happen next week, we'll do the Lord's Supper together, and we're going to look at one church together. Uh, just after the Lord's Supper, all of the disciples are about to go out to the garden. And Jesus makes this big proclamation that all of them have two faces. And you can imagine how well that went down. Let's take a look at our text, 14, 27 through 31. Jesus says this to the entire disciple group. Remember, this is the group he'd been with for three plus years. You will all fall away. The Greek here is skandalismo, which is where we get our word scandal. It really means it's actually applied to a religious person, a person who says one thing and does another. You will all say one thing and do another, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I love that image. That's exactly, of course, what happened to Jesus. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now Peter declared, now here's the beautiful, wonderful, two-faced Peter. Even if I fall away, I will not. Huh? What is he saying? He will fall away or he won't. Even if I fall away, I will not. No one is better about having two different sides than Peter. I love this. Now Jesus says, I tell you the truth, which he says all the times whenever he's about to say something big. He says, verily, verily, or truly, truly, or actually the Greek here is rock, rock. I mean, I mean, which is a double play on words because Peter's name was rock. So he says, rock, rock, and then he says, today, and then I imagine Jesus puts his hand on his forehead and thinks, today, huh, no, no, tonight. I can just see it now, Peter, tonight. Before the rooster crows tri- twice, you will disown me three times. Now, you know, we live in farming country. You know, roosters crow about four or five in the morning. So he's really saying you will actually have another face than you have right now before the morning comes. I love what Peter says emphatically, even if I have to die with you, Lord, I will never disown you. Of course, Peter would die for Jesus, but he would also disown Jesus that very night. Actually, here's my favorite line of the entire text, and all the others said the same. All the other disciples, we will never let you down. And then Jesus said, okay, great, just go and pray for me for a few minutes. And then what do they do? They fell asleep. I love it. I think the German word for the fact that I love this is schadenfreude. It's when you actually like other people who don't do well, but that's not why I like this text. I like it because it reminds me of myself. I like it because I know that there are parts of me that are also two-faced. And if you're honest about yourself, you will see that just like Peter, you have many sides as well. One of the uh, amazing figures of evangelical thinking that died this last summer is a man named John Stott. You might have heard of him, but he has written so many books about the faith. I wrote a sort of a memoriam about him in a little Presbyterian magazine. But some people have talked about John Stott as being like the Pope of the evangelical church. So he was a great, great man. He was friends with Billy Graham. He gave Billy Graham a lot of the ideas for his sermons. Rick Warren was at his bedside before he died. I mean, he is a great man of God, John Stott. Story goes that a long time ago, he had this sort of adversary by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was trying to take the church and separate it all up, and, and John Stott wanted to keep everybody together. And uh, so Martin comes up to Lloyd, or, or Martin Lloyd-Jones comes up to John and says, John, I'd love to come and sit by you. And John Stott says, please, come sit by my side. And Martin says, I would love to sit by your side, but what side do you want me to sit on? We all know, John, that you have two sides. 
Nobody can stick the dagger in like the British. But if it's true for John Stott that all of us have two sides, and it's true for Peter and John Stott, who is the great person of faith, we all do. I mean, let's just think about this for a little bit, and I'm not saying this so you feel worse. I want us to think about this so that we can become more of one person. Has anyone ever come up to you? Maybe you did this a couple times this morning, and somebody said, how are you? And you just said, oh, I'm fine. But you knew deep down that you really weren't. Or have you ever had two sets of friends? I see this all the time. There's the Christian group of friends, and then there's the other friends. And if you're with your other friends, you may not say hi to your Christian friends. This happens to me all the time. I see somebody at church, and then I'm downtown, and I say, hey, and they're like this. They go like this. That's okay. It's part of my job. But you may have it happen the other way, too. You may be with your Christian friends, and then you, don't, you pretend that you don't know those guys over there. God wants us to be one person. Or has anybody cussed up a storm at work or on the golf course or out in fishing boat, and then you come home, and it's Mr. Clean, and that's a kind of two-facedness. Maybe you cut corners in your finances. You know, you say, well, you cannot cheat or lie, but sometimes when it comes to taxes or some other form, you, you cut lots of corners. Or maybe you struggle with somebody. There's somebody that you really dislike or you really struggle with, and instead of saying, I really struggle with you, you go and talk to somebody else about that person. That's a kind of two-facedness. Now, here's the one I see all the time. People who don't have money buying expensive clothes, expensive cars, expensive boats, expensive houses, so it looks like they're doing great. But they know deep down that they are struggling to make ends meet. What God wants us to do is be one person. So let's talk about that for a second. Because if God is going to be one God for us, and we need to be one person for God. And this is the easy task that we want to work on in our lives. First thing I think, the, a lot of the reasons people don't want to be uh, one person is they don't feel that that one person is enough, especially for God, but sometimes for the world. I love uh, Abraham Lincoln, who uh, lived at a time in politics when it was just as vituperative as it is today. But somebody came up to Abraham Lincoln and said once, Abraham Lincoln, you are the most two-faced politician I have ever met in my whole life. Abraham Lincoln said, sir, there is no way that I have two faces. You think if I had two faces, I would wear the one that I have right now? That's why he was one of the great leaders of our time. So I think the problem is sometimes we don't want to be that one person because we don't feel that it's enough, either for God or for the world. So we have, we'd rather be lots of people that we aren't. I did an amazing study recently of teenage girls. And what they found is that the identity of teenage girls is almost entirely based on who they are with. That is, they have a difficult time, and we all do, not to pick on this group, but this study was about teenage girls. And they found that when teenage girls were with people who were extremely beautiful or if they were look, with, with people who were... Um, they read magazines with pictures of supermodels in them, they would actually think less of themselves. The study found that the the girls who actually read magazines with pictures of supermodels had a lower self-esteem than than girls who didn't. Now, let's think about this. They, They base their identity based on their comparison. And what's the comparison? Well, if there ever was a mask, it was a supermodel, right? I mean, these are people who people God loves, but they, for three or four months, spent time uh, dieting, sometimes starving themselves for one picture. And then they have 
makeup artists for three or four hours, the world's best makeup artists put on cakes of makeup, a mask, right? So that all of their blemishes are covered. Then they have the best photographers out there. The best photographers take 10,000 pictures so that they can find one picture, which is going to be the picture that they put in the magazine. And when that one picture after 10,000 shots isn't good enough, what do they do? They airbrush out any blemishes that may be in there. So a lot of people base their identity, and it isn't just teenage girls, we all do it. Dads, moms, professionals, when we compare ourselves to things that aren't real. And all God really wants from us is that we are one self, one person, blemishes and all. I love people who are real, don't you? We did this interview not too long ago for an executive presbyter, for this a pastor for this whole area. We interviewed like hundreds of people for this position, and you know, we interviewed people who said, I am the greatest preacher, I'm the greatest teacher, I'm the greatest administrator, I'm the greatest organizer. And after about a hundred of these, you're just like, yeah, yeah, I, I know. But there was one person who said, I'm not good at teaching, I'm not good at preaching, I'm not good at administrating, and I'm not good at organizing. We're like, who is this guy? I like him. We said, what are you good at? He said, I'm good at loving people one person at a time. He got the job because it's good enough in many ways for us to be one person for each other too. This is a church that strives for us to be one person with one another. So that's the first thing. Second thing I find is that people who are in long-term relationships actually have an easier time being one person. It's people who move from relationship to relationship to relationship. Often there are multiple people. Uh, Again, we're going to do this series coming up real soon called God Love Sex, and we're going to talk about sex, which I assume you're going to love that series. Aren't you excited to hear about this series? I can tell how excited you are about it, and I'm excited to preach it, let me tell you. But the reason I'm doing it is that I want to talk about God's gift of sex, and I want to talk about it through the gift of marriage, and I want to talk about how the world perverts it in lots of different ways, okay? But one of the things they found about people who are in good, intimate relationships is the longer people are together, the better those intimate relationships are. The longer, the Greek word for intimacy is intima, which means to know. The more people are together, the more they know them. Go figure. And the more people know each other, the more intimate and the better the relationships are. And when you find people who move from one relationship to the other, again, to pick on one person who is broken, uh, we know Wilt Chamberlain had a lot of statistics, right? But there's one statistic we will remember him for, and that is 20,000. Supposedly, he was with 20,000 women in his life. Terrible thing. But one thing he said in his recent memoir is, if I could have just been with that one, I would have been happy. That is the one person that he couldn't be with. You see, he was 20,000 people, and God wanted him to be one. I sometimes talk to people who move from other churches or They go from our church to other churches, and we always say, God bless you, whatever God's calling you to, go on God's journey and come back whenever you want. But honestly, I'm always, I always feel sorry for people who who move from one church to the next to the next, and again, look, I'm not criticizing, and we all do. I've been, you know, 20 churches in my life, and I'm a pastor, right? So, but one of the things that I have found is that people often will go from one church to the next because they'll get angry in one church and then they don't feel comfortable with that real self, and so they have to go into another church. But if they would just stay and be angry, they would be so much happier in the long run. 
because that's the one person God wants us to be, the real self, the one without the mask. That's number two. Number three is this. Repentance is the only way for oneness, turning towards God. I, I love uh, this television series called American Greed. Has anyone seen this? It, it's kind of comforting because it's about a lot of guys who steal money and they get caught, so it's, it's one of those shows. But uh, recently they did a show about a guy by the name of Matt Cox. Now, I want to be real clear here, not Matt Fox. He works for us here, not Matt Fox. Matt Cox. This is a guy who made a living out of stealing identities. And so he would stand in ATM lines. These are just three of his identities, but he had 200-plus identities. He would make driver's licenses, passports, very, very real-looking ones based on these identities that he would steal from homeless people and whoever, and he would make these ID cards, and then he would go borrow money from banks, or he would steal money, and this is how he worked. So he had 200 selves, 200 faces, which is an amazing thing to think about, and he did very, very well for a long, long time. But then poetic justice, somebody broke into Matt Cox's house, Another criminal broke into his house, and then he called the cops. Remember, pride always precedes the fall. He called the cops. They came to his house. They said, who are you? And he had to figure out which identity he was going to choose, and so he picked one, but they did a background check and found out that, that the person that they thought it was was dead a long time ago. So then they went and they asked him, after doing some research, four words, are you Matt Cox? For the first time in about 20 years, he says his knees got weak, his legs wanted to fall from under him. Because, if you will, 200 people all came back into one person. Now, Matt's spending some time in prison, which is a form of repentance as well. But at least he's one person again. God wants us to be one person. And part of the whole act of repentance, going before God, is saying, Be with me, make me one again. I don't want to be many different people. I want to be the one person, not perfect, not with all the answers, just one. Last thing is this. Our souls long for so many things. As, as Jill said, many of us crave many things. But what we really, really yearn for is being one, one person. We want that so badly, and we want one God. A long time ago, before I went into the ministry, I thought I was going to maybe go into uh, theater, and so I, I would try out for some shows, and one of the shows I tried out for is Phantom of the Opera. I did not get the part, which you'll see the reason for in a minute, but this is an amazing show. If you get a chance to rent the movie or go see it at the LA Met, you can get tickets for very inexpensively, but it's an amazing show about a person who was broken, but then put on a mask to cover that brokenness, and when he put that mask on, he became this ugly person. And it was only after he took off that mask that he was the real person that God wanted him to be. So the show is about this wonderful soprano by the name of Christine and this phantom by the name of Raul. And this whole show is about how this phantom just lived this life that was not true. But then the focus of the entire show comes at the very end of the show when this little duet is sung between them, and, and Rule just asks this Christine this question. Say you love me every waking moment. Turn my head with talk of summertime. 
Say you'll need me with you now and always. Promise me that all you say is true. That's all I ask of you. Thank you. That's my agent right there. Talk to me afterwards. And then Raoul takes off his mask. And he's that one person. He's not a perfect person. He has scars all over his face. But he's the real thing. And that's what God wants us to be. If you don't take anything else away from this message today, take this. God wants the real you. He doesn't want you to be this perfect Christian, perfect mom, perfect dad, perfect husband, perfect wife, perfect person. He doesn't want you to be 250 different things. Just one. Just one. And God promises us back one thing and that He will be one for us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for this day. Thank You that You made us to be one person. I pray that through the power of Your Spirit, You would help us to be one person for You. Lord, we're so tired of pretending to be things that we're not. So, Lord, we ask on this day that You would have, give us the courage to be one. And we thank You that You had the great courage to be one for us. You died one death and came back to life again so that we can be one for You forever. In Jesus' name, we pray and all the people said...